I'm Michael Damble. I'm the creator of Space Barista, and this is who I am. guest today is Michael Damble, the web developer and illustrator. His works include Space Barista. Michael, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, thank you. Thank you for uh, for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I know you've just finished uh, work, your day job. and um, Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that that's... Oh, oh no problem. A little, uh, your brain's a little fried after a day at work. So it's A little okay. bit. Nothing a little caffeine kink can't cure oh good. so <laughs> so what i have in front of me right now so, you, so you're drinking coffee now is that because you finish work and then get to work on your your projects or is there a... yeah pretty much um it's I, in some ways it feels like i have two jobs mm-hmm. even though you know I have, I have a full-time job as a web developer but i also run uh space barista and all of the connected projects that i'm working on and uh, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much my it's uh, my night job, I guess, if you want to call it that. <laughs> how long so, do you do it? How how many hours per night do you put aside mm, for it? It can be anywhere from thirty minutes to four hours. Oh wow! Uh, depending on whether or not I I'm really into the project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a normal comic. If I'm making a normal comic for Space Priest, it can vary from two to four hours. Um, but if I'm making something very large, it can be a, a straight four hour block of time. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Space Rista, that is, it, it's, is it still the single panel kind of like a gag strip almost, isn't it? And that, that kind of, yeah, traditional... it's kind of a daily life, you know, day in the life of slice of life comic about this a uh, pretty normal guy who just happens to sell coffee in space. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's pretty simple. And st- it's the most simple comic I've ever done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll say, like, simple the simplest theme yeah. I've ever had. So, uh, previous comics have had themes of two space brothers end up finding an ancient civilization that happens to still be alive somewhere, and they have to go find it. And they, oh, but they also find a god, and they have to wake him up. Uh, you know, it, it's none of that. It's just a very straightforward daily, you know, barista's life type of thing. Mm-hmm. So is this, this is two things that uh, it seems that you have a lot of interest in. One is coffee and the other mm-hmm. is uh, ancient civilizations, which you mentioned. Yes. For the other work. That I am do. a huge nerd. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely love my first major in college was history. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I obviously I couldn't do anything with that. Um, other than becoming a, a professor or a curator or write, you know, write books, but, uh, yeah. I didn't really want to do any of those things. <laughs> so as a, as a lifestyle, um, or as a career. So yeah, you know, I, I just kind of, I've been working on these like fantasy ideas as I've gone about my professional career. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of gotten to the point now where there's really no conflict between either of them. Um, one kind of feeds into another. Uh, because I do web web development, I can create web projects for my comics, and comics allow me to stay kind of sharp in mm-hmm. terms of art creation, logo branding that help in my day job. So, well, I've I've been able to kind of merge or can at least connect the two, so they don't feel as disjointed as they have in the past for me. Mm-hmm. 
with your artwork is that stuff done digitally or is it is it do you have an analog process involved in there as well or it used to be completely analog i used to draw everything by hand mm-hmm. um i had a comic in the million newspaper back in 2000 in, in lafayette louisiana uh back in 2006 2007 uh called random fuzz and that was almost completely hand drawn uh but then i would take it in and uh color it in adobe photoshop and uh so after that uh paper started piling up <laughs> in different uh boxes and storage became a little tight so i really needed to switch over to digital mm-hmm. to be able to continue to make uh, sketches and drawings and comics the way that I really wanted to without having the major storage issues uh, that come with it, without having to pay enormous amounts of money for extra storage. Mm. And um, But your stuff is is uh, mainly out on the web, right? You haven't published anything yet? or you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I have, uh, yeah, I have two... It, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't really consider them published, but I have two comics out on Comicsology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, called Last Anomaly, and I'm working on getting those like published in print um, soon. But yeah, as of now, it's just kind of my online hobby mm-hmm. to do uh, these these comics, right? And uh, is that something that you uh, there's like a community of um, web comic creators out there that have been mm-hmm. around for a while? Is that something that you've been involved in? a lot or is it just something that you've been drawn to or enjoy or was it just a, a necessity of uh, like you said you needed space and the mm-hmm. ease of publishing that comes with um with uh, web comics is, is a lot more uh, immediate than than print yeah I'm, i think yes and no uh, I, the community i've had kind of a hot and cold relationship with the community <laughs> and, and not necessarily by choice um i Ended up founding something called uh, Webcomic Chat, uh-huh. which was based out of a need of other webcomic artists needing to connect to each other and creating kind of a community. Because what I was seeing was that a lot of webcomic artists either fell into a click or were lone rangers. Right. And that can be very lonely if you're doing, uh, if you're creating art by yourself. So uh, I did that for a little bit. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, my real life <laughs> commitments became a little overwhelming. Uh, I had a lot to do. It was in a very busy time in my life. And so a user named uh, Velvet Rasputin took it over mm-hmm. and she did an amazing job. And uh, I think she she handed that over for a while after a few years. Um, but that was probably my, I guess you could call it a contribution. It was really just more of, of seeing a need of people to communicate and connect mm. on social media because I just wasn't really seeing it happen. Right. And um, I, I really believe that artists need to stick together. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in the web development community, everything is open source. Everything is very open. Uh, people are very friendly. And there's an atmosphere of, I guess, I, I can't, camaraderie, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that exists in the development community that I wasn't seeing in the comic community. And um, part of it is is just the way that, Things work. You just kind of work in your own island, and then, you know, maybe connect with a few other people. And I really wanted to see that change yeah. into something a little more, uh, I guess, mirroring the development community a bit more. Yeah. So, 
I don't know if it has, but <laughs> that was my uh, that was my initial goal of creating that. Right. Ah. How much of your your day job um, overlaps? Because you said that you you the, mm-hmm. the art keep, kind of keeps you fresh with design work at, at work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Does do you see stuff coming from work into your comic book stuff, and either in writing or in um, in the design side of that? I think. Any kind of major overlap that I see tends to be technical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, and it's funny because I have my current job because I knew so much about WordPress, and I learned WordPress for the sole purpose of putting my comic out on the web. <laughs> so um, it was kind of a nice thing because you know I just ran with the with the WordPress thing and with PHP and with all of the the code languages because I needed to create something myself that was better than average mm-hmm. and i needed to know how to do that and web development can be pretty daunting especially when you're learning on your own um but uh, you know just after years and years of doing that i ended up becoming a web developer and then uh was hired at my current job uh for wordpress development and uh so anything i learned anything i learned during the day i'm able to bring home and kind of augment anything that I'm working on at home uh, with that, mm-hmm. with that new technology, with that new um, understanding of how yeah. the platform works. Yeah. And so for me, it's been very beneficial to kind of swap that technolo- technological know-how back and forth. And um, and I always I always try to help out people uh, who are creating websites. And uh, I helped out a friend recently who was launching her own web comic. And she did a fantastic job setting everything up, but she just had a few technical questions, and I was able to uh, go in and just help her out where she needed. Hmm. And so I, I feel like that's also really important too, you know, to be able to not just help myself out, but to help other people out too, because I'm, it's so daunting to create a project uh, like a web comic or any kind of online art project. I mean, I, I'm, I know that, you know, uh, for you going through. Um, having your own company and putting out print, uh, content, you know, it can be a, a little overwhelming, I would think, <laughs> you know? And, um, so yeah, it's just getting as much help as you can from people is, is really great. And being able to help people is really great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like it's a good, it's a good time at the moment in terms of, um, there are so many things that, you know, in the past there was maybe three or four books that everybody mm-hmm. read. Like there was the, um, there was one specifically for web comics. There was one for pre-press mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And everyone used that as their base and, and worked their way through and kind of stumbled their way through each process until they picked up their, their way of doing it. But now there's, there's definitely like people, I see people online getting into discussions and, um, mm-hmm. just quick chats where it's like, I have this problem and it can be fixed very quickly. And just this, this, shared knowledge that exists that everyone is able to to use to their benefit yeah i completely agree and i think social media has been so valuable in that especially twitter mm-hmm. I, you know twitter has allowed me to connect with people all over the world and i've learned so much in terms of art and technical knowledge from people that i've met online yeah and I, I, yeah to me it's invaluable did you uh, grow up in Oklahoma, or is that just where you live now? I I was born in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. Uh-huh. Uh, then I moved around a lot. So 
I've lived in Colorado and Virginia, and I I really grew up near New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, Louisiana. So heart of Cajun country, very unique place to grow up. Mm. Um, they don't have counties in Louisiana; they have parishes. Right. Uh, their you know their idea of a festival or a party uh, really their party season begins in October. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it doesn't end until I guess April, right. about Easter, mm-hmm. uh, because for us, you know, in the Western world, most of us, um, we have the commercial holidays of Halloween, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, that whole you know area of time. Then you have Easter. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but for the Cajun culture, they have all of that. But then right after Christmas. Then all of a sudden you get ready for Mardi Gras. Mm. And so from January and February and even until March, almost all the way up till Easter, you have this giant festival, I guess, spirit over the culture where everyone's celebrating. Everyone's really excited. Everyone is very happy uh, to celebrate Fat Tuesday um, (laughs) because the culture down there is primarily uh, Catholic. Mm -hmm. So everyone, even if regardless of your religion, everyone's invited to Mardi Gras. You're you're part of them. You know, you're you're part of the celebration. Yeah. And it's so inclusive and it's so just focused on enjoying yourself and enjoying your family and enjoying your friends. And uh, it it was a very unique culture to grow up in. And, uh, you know, I I think I took a lot of good stuff away (laughs) from growing (laughs) up there. Were you raised in a religious household or was it? Just that um, it was around. And... I was raised in a religious household, um, but it was more of a critical thinking household, mm-hmm. I think, uh, <laughs> more than anything. It was, you know, I was given books on other religions when I was 12. Yeah. And because it was important to uh, my mom that I understand how world religions work and why people think the way that they do. And uh, so I did a lot of that. She probably is the one who spoiled me for all of the world building and ancient civilizations <laughs> because I found it fascinating. And I've, I, I just kind of poured over uh, a ton of religious texts and a ton of religious work. And, um, I just found it to be very fascinating, mm-hmm. but I wasn't raised in a hardline religious, like a ultra conservative, what I would call Trump, <laughs> you know, <laughs> atmosphere. Yeah. Um, at all. I was always, you know, it was always a critical thinking type of thing. Mm. And then um, you went to college in Lafayette, right? Yes. Yeah. And that, and you said you did um, your first, Is it, I, I, I always get confused with the, the American university system. Um, so you did your uh-huh. a major in history or was it a minor or no, you said major, right? It was, it was a major. Yeah. Okay. My fr- I, I swapped majors fairly often. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I had a, a history major uh-huh. first and then, oh gosh, I switched it so many times. One of the largest switches for me was switching over to Spanish right. and then I switched over to graphic design and then I stuck with graphic design until I graduated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I have the Spanish background just in, you know, in case I need to use it. Yeah. And I, I actually do use it. Uh, I'm during my day job. I have several Spanish projects, uh, that I work on and I'm able to kind of easily navigate those, uh, because of the Spanish background. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And with the history, what what period were you? Oh, anything ancient history, oh, pre-modern, yeah. anything pre-modern. Okay. Um, the older, the better. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I love reading about the Sumerians, the ancient Egyptians, um, you know, the, the Hittites, Assyrians, uh, you know, you name it, pre, you know, um, pre-modern Europe, mm-hmm. you know, the ancient the ancient Celts, you know, um, the Indo-European civilizations, Dravidians, uh, you know, Mahanjadaro type, you know, civilizations that are just, they're just fascinating to me. Mm, yeah. Um, and somebody it, actually, I, I didn't, I put this out on Twitter today. I was listening to an online course, um, from UCLA, uh, by someone who was talking about religion and magic in history. And it was a fascinating course about the role of, of what is perceived to be religion and magic over the course of thousands of years. Hmm. And she made it, she, she said something that really stuck with me um, in that she said, history is not progress. History uh, borrows, it backtracks, it zigzags, it's all over the place. And so it's, you know, when you really begin to look at the history of the world, you begin to see that there is progress. We generally are moving in a direction, mm-hmm. but you know, civilizations rise and fall. You know, they, they move forward, they move backward, they move sideways, they, they change names, they change identities, they merge with another one, you know, with another civilization, that kind of thing. So, mm. which that, that to me is probably the most accurate description of history yeah. that I've heard so far. <laughs> did you grow up reading history books as as well then? Or, um, I did. Yeah. I, w- I was such a nerd. <laughs> such, <laughs> such a nerd. You have no idea. Yeah, I was that weird kid who was always looking up like I had like five books on ancient China mm-hmm. in the library and like, you know, two books on ancient Middle East stuff. And the librarian who would check us out would always like side eye me, <laughs> give, throw shade You're like, uh huh. Yeah, you're reading those. I'm like, Shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my yeah, that, those were my Twilight books, I guess. Mm. And you, with your stuff, you, you kind of. Uh, brushed upon it but there is a lot of world building and even mm-hmm. within that there's like language building and and yeah. um, alphabet and um, very uh, visual language stuff that you build and mm-hmm. it's is that something that um, that interests you that I like that the how languages have developed over time because that that period of history is very much a development of language as as mm-hmm. um, I mean it's just just that the the start of recorded languages that we start to discover so yeah absolutely i i really love the idea of humans realizing that they can cooperate in a way that no other animal has ever cooperated on earth Mm -hmm. by creating something that is language and we see the beginnings of this in primates uh this has been recorded in primates to very very beginnings and we see this in other animals. We see this in whales and dolphins that they have specific images or, or sonic communication symbols, I guess, if you want to mm. call it that. I, it's really hard for me to describe, but uh, they realize that dolphins communicate to each other and they have names. You know, each dolphin has a name. And you see other species kind of beginning to do this, but we did it a long time ago. You know, the earliest human remains have now been found in, I believe it's Iran, mm-hmm. dating back 
100,000 years, which is, if not, probably, no, 300. I, it's earlier than it ever recorded, earlier than the African uh, um, fossils. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of rewrite. Well, our history constantly is, is rewritten. And, um, you know, the idea that humans realized one day that, you know, it would be easier to use a, a formal language system so everyone could be on the same page. Mm. Uh, to, to me, that's just uh, that's one of the marvels of our species. Um, and I mean, to, to the fact that we've, you know, nearly conquered the globe using written language, <laughs> uh, starting out as pictures. You know, yeah. the uh, pictures that everyone could understand. And, you know, I, I think anything that I do in fantasy is just an outcropping of that fascination mm-hmm. of how languages evolve, how we perceive languages, you know, um, as opposed to uh, that's why, you know, the, several prominent astronomers and um, astrophysicists have said, you know, if aliens can't communicate with us, we are going to have a very hard time understanding them, if at all, because we don't know what they're like. Mm. We don't know. Uh, we don't know if they can even breathe our atmosphere, and you know, or what their general concepts are. If they understand time the way we do, as days, you know, um, if they understand, because even in human culture, there are some cultures, and even some um, tribal cultures that view time in a much different way than, than we do in the Western world. Mm. And it's not invalid. It's just a different way of, of seeing it. And if we have that much diversity in our species, I can just imagine what aliens, you know, would, would probably come up with. And so I just kind of tinker with that, you know, that idea of, you know, how would they perceive the universe? Yeah. How would they perceive us? And so, you know, anything I create is, is kind of out of that, <laughs> out of that interest or that curiosity. Yeah. One of the things I like about um, Space Barista is that, um, you know, the the early written record was pretty much just um, stock keeping and and records Mm -hmm. and um, uh, trading deals. And this idea that something that seems so mundane um, is actually like the birth of so much of of numerics and, and stuff like that. And the idea that you can have a coffee shop in, yeah. <laughs> in our space yeah. is, is like that perfect balance of like the, the the seemingly mundane with the extraordinary yeah and you know i started space barista out of really questioning what i wanted to do in terms of an ongoing series i tried to um beforehand and they just didn't click it just didn't work well i ended up hating one of them completely so much so that i will never probably pick up a pen to even draw it again um, and another one just just didn't like, um, or it just didn't work. And uh, so I remember sitting on thinking, what do I really, really want to do? What is going to be easiest for me uh, to really just have fun with? And I remember playing Star Wars The Old Republic years ago, um, which is an uh, MMO. And you basically just go around the galaxy, you know, completing quests. But... One night I was playing and I kept having to go back to the same vendor uh, to sell equipment because I just wasn't doing good that day. And I realized, you know, okay, so in the fantasy world, this guy has a life. Like, Let's assume for a moment that this is not a game, that this is uh, an actual fantasy world. 
well, what is his daily life like? Is this all he does every day? And it, that just started the process of of thinking how an NPC would actually live inside one of those games. And that was kind of the birth of Space Barista. <laughs> was, you know, just kind of thinking about how the unnoticed characters that we see in games, how their lives really, you know, act. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, Space Priest is about this this guy who's always the NPC, you know? He just has a normal life. Everyone else is going off and doing amazing things, and they're having these wonderful quests, and he's just there selling coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, to me, it was it, it just kind of bypassed the hero's journey a bit um, because he it's not that he wasn't eligible for it. It's just that he's a normal guy. He... He lives in a pace more along the lines of the way we live yeah. than he is, you know, like a, a three-act story, like a, a, a classic Joseph Campbell three-act story, you know, mm-hmm. of the hero's journey. Is Joseph Campbell someone that you, you read when you were younger? Or? I didn't read him until I was in college, okay. uh, but it made a lot of sense. <laughs> it made a lot of the religious texts that I read. Uh, a lot of those made sense. Yeah. Um, most specifically the, um, the Vedic texts that I had gone over and, you know, that, and also the, and it's not, you know, some people talk about Joseph Campbell saying that even relating his principles to scripture invalidates that scripture. I really don't believe that because I think understanding the idea of Siddhartha and, and Buddha, the first Buddha, with Joseph Campbell's story, Joseph Campbell's understanding, or understanding uh, all of the the old ancient texts, that's how people, you know, that's the way humans work. We're hardwired to tell stories, mm-hmm. and so it would make sense that all of, all of our religious texts would be in the form of, uh, you know, things that we can understand. You know, yeah. it helps us understand things, and. I don't necessarily believe that, you know, taking those principles and understanding the world through them, I don't think that invalidates them. I think, in fact, that validates them even more in their importance to our understanding of who we are. Yeah. So I'm sorry if that's a little deep, but (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of my take on it. Yeah. And it was, you know, the the shift from the... um the verbal record of, of storytelling to to um, what we have recorded. There's always an element of, you know, we romanticize about about the great writers, but there's an element of right. um, um, like a study group or um, uh, like it, it's been filtered and it's been edited over time into this this mm-hmm. final piece. And it is it's still this this kind of fluid thing, but there's still mm-hmm. an attempt for lots of people to make sense of something in its original form and then present it to, to the biggest group, you know, in that, in that yeah. format. Definitely. And I, and I think the idea that Joseph Campbell was, was bringing along was, was not that I didn't take his writings to be uh, an attack on anything. I think it was really more of, Hey guys, look at this. All of these stories have this have similar elements in that this, this is how we tell stories. Mm. You know, we, we relate stories of even going to the grocery store, you know, in three act parts. You know, once upon a time, I went to the grocery store until I found a melon and then I checked out. That's your three act <laughs> story. You know, that's that that's it. And that's how we that's how we communicate with each other. Mm. And, you know, I think 
understanding those those stories in whatever context is super important. Oh, I lost you. Oh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry. That's all right. I heard you say super important, and then it went quiet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I finished. <laughs> okay, <Sorry>. good. <laughs> um, do you find that um, because, you know, there, there is a, a uh, especially nowadays, there's such a, um, a friction that can come around with talking about ancient civilizations and talking about things oh, that, that, that may get close to religious um, yeah. models that exist throughout different uh, stories throughout time. Do you, do you find yourself encountering a lot of uh, uh, people that, that have problems with that? I think, yes. I, you know, how do I say this? Um, <laughs> the people who tend to be more open to different things are people who tend to know more about how things came to be. Mm. Um, I am always and will always be a proponent of education um, because I really believe that the more educated a person becomes, the more calm they become when when confronted with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of hostility that we're seeing right now to um, education and to religion and even the bizarre, what I consider to be, and I'm, I might make a few people angry by saying this, but I really believe that the ancient aliens theories, as fun as they are to listen to, mm-hmm. um, if someone truly believes that, I think that's a, I think that's an expression of anti-intellectualism mm. because, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think I really believe at its core, well, I think, I think for two reasons, um, a lot of that stems from the 1800s and a Victorian mindset of, um, it is, you know, it's a racist term called the noble savage. And it also comes from the Victorian idea of, um, we cannot trust tribal cultures. It's a very white, very Victorian view um, mm-hmm. that the West had of we cannot trust tribal cultures to be intelligent enough to create what they have created. Right. And therefore they must have had help. Yeah. And primarily what I see with ancient aliens is focusing on the Egyptians who are not white, the Chinese, you know, the, the Chinese empire um, that's been around for 5,000 years, you know, <laughs> um, has had remarkable scientific advancements uh, the middle east i mean creation of algebra creation i mean they, they originated coffee yeah absolutely brilliant minds across the united across um say united states <laughs> oh gosh um across the world you know um brilliant architects who created um the pyramids in both egypt and mesoamerica yeah you know the olmec uh giant heads and you know, we're, we were even seeing uh, evidence of trans-oceanic travel. Yeah. And, you know, I, I believe that it's a it's definitely a borderline racist attitude to truly believe it. I like the idea that aliens only only interesting thing that I find about ancient aliens is aliens coming down, contacting humans, probably saying oops and then leaving <laughs> or they're or they're just watching us. 
Right. That's not racist. That's all of us as humans saying, okay, they have a way to progress. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But to say that, you know, someone asked Gene Roddenberry decades ago, uh, whenever Ancient Aliens, Charities of the Gods first came out, somebody asked Gene Roddenberry about that book. And he became very angry. And he said, aliens did not build the pyramids. Humanity built the pyramids. We own that. Mm-hmm. We take credit for that because we made it. And that really struck a chord with me because I really believe that. I, I think we should take credit for what we've done yeah. and not and not say either we as a as a as a human race or that specific you know races in the past or civilizations in the past were simply too stupid. I, I just think that's ridiculous. I think humans <laughs> have always had this this kind of innate amazingness about them. Yeah, to do amazing things and. Yeah. I think we should own it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there is a. I mean, there is a. There's a certain element of it being a coping mechanism for people to. Yeah. To to deal with something that, that would otherwise seem, um, uh, hard to grasp. Like you, it, it. But you are right. There is a, a heavy amount of racism involved. I mean, people yeah. don't don't question the structures in Rome. We, you know, we're told right. that the ancient Romans built them, and that's it. Yeah great you know they they got mm-hmm. a load of people to work together and they did it but that's you know it's it's yeah exactly. <laughs> or stonehenge yeah i mean yeah. sometimes yeah you'll get people who you'll have less people who are saying stonehenge is by aliens than you will of people saying stonehenge was made by the celts mm. you know you, there's a huge disconnect in the proportionate amount of stories on the origin of stonehenge because primarily you'll have people say oh the celts did it you know, oh, the ancient Britons did it. Oh, the ancient, you know, uh, whoever, you know, but they were all human yeah. for ritual purposes. And we know that when we have the archaeological record to prove all of that. Um, but you don't hear that. Yeah, it's like exactly like you said. I mean, you'll hear more, you know, oh, they just did that, you know, for Western monuments than, than you will for anything else. <laughs> so. uh, with uh, just to, to to go back to to comics, were were comics sure. something that came into your your life, or were they always there? Was that something that you did? Were you a comic reader when you were younger, or I was, and um, my relationship with comics was kind of interesting. I the first comic I ever truly remember reading was X Men number one hmm. in nineteen ninety, I think it was ninety one or ninety two. Yeah, uh, it was the Jim Lee run. Yeah, where mm-hmm. Magneto had Asteroid M and. You had all of the new X-Men uh, coming in. And it was like that. It was that reboot after Chris Claremont. And uh, I remember how I would I actually sat uh, for a few days. I would go shopping with my mom to Walmart and I would sit right beside the magazine stand because that comic was out and somebody had taken it out of like a pack. And I remember sitting near her while she was shopping, just reading it over <laughs> and over and over again. And then she ended up, she realized that's what I was doing, so she got it for me. And I just remember consuming that mm. and just being fascinated with the idea of the X-Men. The X-Men were huge to me because um, at the time we had briefly lived in southern Alabama, which I don't like to mention often, <laughs> but I will because of the story. But um, it was a horrible place to live. Mm. And I'm sorry if anybody from Alabama is listening. You're awesome. I apologize, but my experience was very bad. It was very redneck culture. Racism was through the roof. Uh, KKK was still around. Um, 
my uh, my dad's work had brought him down there temporarily. So we all had to go move down there <laughs> and endure that culture. And um, so it was amazing to me because I was seeing you know, I was seeing the rampant racism down there. I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. And then I was reading X-Men and it was kind of reinforcing the ideas that I was getting at home. Like, don't, we don't do that. We don't judge people by their skin. We don't judge people by anything other, you know, than you judge people by their character, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, and X-Men really kind of drove that home to me of these people all have different gifts, but they're coming together and fighting for a better future, even in a world that doesn't like them. Yeah. And, you know, that really resonated with me that you need, you know, I as an individual need to do the right thing using my gifts in a constructive way, in a good way to help society, um, even if it doesn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) So um, for me, at that point in my life, I really needed that message. And that's the message I got from them. So, you know, I I trailed off with comics later on, but um, I kind of headed back around college uh, just for fun. Yeah. And kind of got into it again. And, um, you know, it's still enjoyable. I still really like just playing in that arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been having, um, I, I had a, a, a similar thing with, um, I mean, I, st- I started reading, gosh, I can't even think when I was maybe in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of uh, reprint stuff in, in England. So I've never, you know, some people, they say, what was your first comic book? And some people couldn't instantly recall it. And, yeah. and say it was this and I, I it's so muddy for me because there was reprints there was annuals there was all these things and ways of right. getting them that, that didn't have like a, a logical timeline when I look back right. on it. Um, but I do remember you know it getting to that time in the early 90s where I stopped mm-hmm. and then I went back in the early 2000s and, and occasionally looked in and stuff and then I stopped again and then kind of dipped in and out and um it, I, I've been thinking a lot about it, about how I know a lot of people from my generation who are now collecting stuff from when they were reading initially. Yeah. And there is like a, there's, yeah. there's the, the comics and things, especially like the X-Men, they used to have these kind of closed periods that people would mm-hmm. read them and the themes would be consistent. The stories right. might be completely different and the characters might change and the, the the creators might change but the themes were very consistent and i'm starting mm-hmm. to feel like um, a lot of comics now are kind of hitting a natural end because they haven't let the new readers come in and, and see that consistency and see those themes uh, exist through um there's there's it, it's a lot of comics now it feels like they're you know i used to think oh they keep rebooting or they keep restarting stuff and it's a bad idea but it, it's it's it was like these half-hearted attempts at restarting and as, as a, now yeah. looking back and i think if they did a true reset it would probably be better because you could have a whole new group of people and yeah. keep the themes and the stories alive in a new way but there is like a an end to mm-hmm. a natural end to a lot of these characters you know there's only so much a lot of these characters can do mm-hmm. yeah and i i agree i mean i i think we're seeing that with wolverine yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're recently seeing the death of Wolverine, and you know, Cyclops dying, and you know, just a lot of the older kind, even to the point where, you know, the the all new X Men, you know, where they take the original five from the 1960s and mm-hmm. put them into present day. Yeah, you know, it was like it was an attempt <laughs> at rebooting them. So, and 
I remember there was an X-Men First Class back in 2006 that was another attempt at rebooting them mm-hmm. uh, as well. And I, I enjoyed that run, but uh, yeah, I agree. Well, so what comic do you remember as a kid really impacted you? What was your favorite? Um, the uh, one that I have a really good memory for and a, 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 like a very visceral um, reaction to um, mm-hmm. was a Swamp Thing comic when oh. Alan Moore was doing it and um, uh, Rick of Edge. And it was the, it was a two part story and it was the second part of a two part story. And it was about a town in America that had been flooded. Mm-hmm. And there was these uh, vampire creatures that lived under the water. And it oh. was, um, I can't remember the issue. I, I'm, if I had to guess, I'd say it was like in the thirties maybe. And that mm-hmm. wasn't the first one I read by, by, long shot i think that came out maybe 86 or 87 i'm gonna guess mm-hmm. um but that one i really have a good memory of getting it it was one that i stumbled upon in a shop and um it was like a little newsstand kind of shop and mm-hmm. went in there and picked it up and just kept reading it and reading it again and that series is actually one of the the ones that i go back and reread probably more than yeah. any other series yeah isn't it funny how you kind of go back and do reread like a specific series. Like there's something mm. that kind of connects. Yeah. Yeah. That one definitely had, I, I, I had a real big connection with it. Yeah. And I, I and at first, you know, you, you have the initial kind of romantic feeling for this comic. And then, you know, when you go back as an adult and say, okay, why, why did it, why did it affect, why was I affected so much by this? <laughs> and and I also had a similar reaction with Generation X mm-hmm. um, for a short time, and uh, because they felt like my, <laughs> it was odd, but it felt like Generation X was my X Men, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah. It they were just students who didn't really get themselves yet, and that was kind of where I was <laughs> at the time, <laughs> you know, early teens and going, you know, who am I? And uh, you know, you, you kind of connect with those with those characters but yeah it's it's kind of cool to go back and go okay why why was i so enamored with this yeah yeah and um i try to do that with with space priest i'm like okay well what connected me with that and can i put this in space priest (laughs) (laughs) is there do do you feel that there's an influence from that period of, of comic books in in your stuff or oh totally absolutely um i think for me i well, I think it provided a basis of wanting to create something that has an off actor mm-hmm. because even today, Jim Lee's stuff blows my mind. Like I, I would turn into a complete idiot if I met Jim Lee in real life <laughs> because like his, his art has so strongly impacted me. Um, but it was, it was really a, con, a con, it was like bringing the wow factor of Jim Lee and wanting to do something with that kind of umph, I guess, that kind of impact. Mm-hmm. But uh, what really started influencing Space Barista was Miyazaki. Like everything Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Um, Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, uh, primarily being kind of the first foray that I had into the world of Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. And just the absolute uh, wonder that his world creates. You know, this is, I don't know how he does it, but he pulls the five-year-old out of me and goes, you know, and, I, and I'm sitting here going, this is amazing. This is amazing. So like the inner five-year-old 
it's just like loving this, loving these movies. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just such a, a pure, innocent wonder, Yeah, you know, um, that comes with it. And, and I, I wanted to bring that into Space Barista mm-hmm. a lot. I wanted to bring in, I described it to someone once that it was fascination without the judgment. Mm. That he, you know, right now we have a world where we're fascinated, but we're also very judgmental of what we see. Yeah. And so, you know, he deals with, and I, and I wanted to hopefully subtly bring across that he deals with people of every race imaginable, every gender imaginable, every form, function, type of person imaginable. And he can be, and you can be curious with the difference and with the diversity without judgment. And, you know, that kind of led into the utopian ideal um, of his universe, because I, I realized, you know, some days I, I didn't want to have a very busy or stressful day and then come home and read about very busy or stressful stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I just wanted a pure escape. And, and I love reading, you know, character driven stuff and intense dramas. I love all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some days I just want to not deal with it. <laughs> and I just want to get far away. I just want to get out of this universe if possible, you know, yeah. just go somewhere fun. And, uh, and that's kind of why that's kind of spurred the world building in space barista mm-hmm. was to create kind of a mini vacation, um, that people could go to. So, um, where they could feel like my hope is that people can read it and feel like they can go to those places and feel okay. And feel like they're okay. Yeah. You know, and, and not feel like they're being judged. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, where can people find your stuff? Uh, Space Barista is at uh, spacebarista.com. Uh, there's a redirect that'll take you to the page. Uh-huh. Um, we have about, I have about 300 comics right now. And um, hopefully I have some mini comics and a full-fledged comic coming out. Hopefully this year. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how my schedule goes. I'm working on it as much as I can. Um, but uh, spacebarista.com. And I am also all over the web. Um, I'm, you know, you'll see my many rantings and, and weird takes on things at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and I also post a lot of space Barista updates on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is just at Michael Dampold. So, uh, I think that's, those are probably the best places because, uh, the space Barista website has connections to all of the social media. Okay. So I have a pretty big social media, I guess, uh, breadth of accounts all over the place. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll put some links in the episode notes. And, um, Michael, thank you very much for... Oh, thanks for, for having me. me. It was yeah. great. Yeah, thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.